Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavanagh, and I'm here today again on TRSI. Today is Wednesday, the 3rd of June. I hope you've been well since last we spoke. Michael, how have you been? I've been fine, Gary. Enjoying the sunshine. Got a little bit burnt on my sandaled feet. Sadly, the weather has changed. But still, we can always get a heat up from the fact that the world is burning. I was going to ask, is that what you're, you're tanning with the flames of America? As it, uh, as it burns to a cinder? Yeah, you never know. We, we might start catching fire here too. I think the, the first is it the first the first riot of the summer broke it out in Paris. Yes, so, the first riot of the summer in Paris. This means we will have a short and sweet winter. Yeah, it's always it's always nice, isn't it? The old folk tales. It's nice to see the people. When the first Parisian them. with the Molotov cocktail peeks his head out of his burrow. Burns the first cop car. Throws the first gendarme into the Seine. Ah, yes. ah, tradition. Yes, indeed. So, obviously, today we will, as we were partially the last episode, be talking largely about America. But before we get onto that, there is one thing I wanted to talk about as well. Michael, you may have seen this uh, as well. The Associated Press is reporting that they have managed to get documents from the WHO talking about the WHO's relationship with China. I don't know if you've seen this. Oh, this is the, yeah. There's a bit of a dissonance here between what seems to be the internal communication of the WHO, the actual people doing the work, as it were, the scientist-y types people, and what we were being told at the very top level by Dr. Help me out here, Gary. Tedros. Yes, Tedros said uh, that China's commitment to transparency was impressive, beyond words. Beyond words. That is impressive. It turns out that when your internal emails leak and your internal memos, it turns out that they, they didn't think that China's commitment to transparency was beyond words. In fact, they seem to have found it very easy to put it into words. It also words su- like shambolic, not there. It also suggests that tra- transparency isn't getting 10 out of 10 in WHO either. A little bit of cover-up subterfuge going on. But what were they particularly worried about? I mean, regarding the, tra- the what, what were their problems in just general... Well, the WHO were annoyed that uh, China wasn't releasing genetic maps or genomes when the WHO knew they had them. And they're saying it took a week, in certain cases, more than two weeks. Um, China just kept stalling them at every turn, refusing to give them the information in any sort of efficient manner. And the WHO were of the opinion that it would be very good if they knew what was happening in China, because then they could help to slow it. Uh, they also, the documents also basically say that the WHO was being very positive about China in public because they wanted China to uh, work with them on this. Privately, however, not uh, not enough. In fact, the WHO's technical lead for COVID-19, in one of the internal meetings, it's reported that she said that we're going on very minimal information from China. 
it's clearly not enough for proper planning. Right. Which is not great. Yes. Uh, another top official said that we're at the stage where they're giving it to us 15 minutes before it appears on the state-owned TV. Hmm. So, all of those people who were saying that the WHO and China, that that relationship was not on the level, you do your victory lap now. I've already done mine. I've got that out of my system. <laughs> you run around the block. You like a run in the morning, don't you, Gary? I mean, Michael, I think for my physique, you know I don't. Well, you like to think about a run in the morning anyway. A victory run. Occasionally I do have to because my girlfriend will ask me, do I want to go for a run in the morning at like five in the morning? She woke me up, Michael, at half four the other day. At half four? After I'd I'd worked late. So I went to bed at about ten past four. And I'm lying there nearly asleep and her alarm goes off. And she asks me, she legitimately asks me, Michael, do I want to go to the beach to look at the sunrise? You see, my problem with this whole story, Gary, is I don't believe there is a half four. I I I hear people talk about it, and but I I'm I'm unconvinced that there is such a thing as a half four. Let alone people who are alive and getting up at it. And then she says to me, "You said you would come if you were awake," and I realised <laughs> I had said that on the assumption there was no way I'd be awake. But then I had to work late, and so I went. I went to the beach at oh. half four in the morning. Unf- Amusingly enough, we were late for sunrise because she stopped to get tea. She stopped to get tea. And then she looked at me, Michael, with no shame in her eyes, looked me right in the fucking eyes and said, I suppose we'll have to do it tomorrow. <laughs> well, you know, the reassuring reassure thing about that is that barring something really, really quite serious happening, it, w- it will happen again tomorrow. Uh, I mean, even, even without sacrificing. <laughs> oh dear! Uh, but anyway, that was that there's was a lesson. A... There's a great lesson there. The, the answer to that is no, not if I'm awake, or if anything, because the capacity for the female of the species to make sure that those circumstances, precisely those circumstances, will apply, are not insignificant. Are you, are you implying she kneecapped one of our economists? <laughs> I am saying that the female of the species is more deadly than male, the male, etc., etc. Good song. Anyway, the WHO, putting aside my personal issues with the sunrise, uh, WHO is... I don't, I don't know if this makes it better or worse for the WHO. I would suspect better for the organisation, but worse for Tedros. Well, yes, I'd, I'd say so. Uh, which has kind of been, I think, the evolving narrative anyway, that it's become clear that there actually are people within the organisation. Oh, and that I hate that line on the front line, but people on the on who are who are competent are doing their best in difficult circumstances to do a job, but working within a structure which at the very top is just not functional, and is has become so politicised. It's inevitably going to be political. That's the nature of life, but. It's become so politicised in a direction that it's not really fit for purpose, as we like to say these days. One thing I do find interesting, I'll put the the Associated Press article in the uh, details of this podcast. 
But the interesting thing about how a story is constructed, like how media puts these things together, is who you go to and what you say the public is saying. Because that will generally reflect how you want the story to look. Because if you wanted the WHO to come out great out of this story, you could find professors and spokespeople who would do that. But they don't. They find someone who says, it's obvious we would have saved more lives and avoided many, many deaths if China and the WHO had acted faster. And then they point out that uh, by the time the Chinese worked out the genome of COVID-19 and when the WHO declared a global emergency, the outbreak sped by a factor of 100 to 200 times. That sounds like a lot. It does sound like a lot. And then there's other people in the article saying about how this has damaged WHO's uh, credibility. It's not a good article for the WHO. Well, actually, I think it may be a good article for WHO. It's not a good article for China or uh, Dr. Tedros. And if Tedros goes, they'll probably get rid of some of the other upper level people. And when he goes, I'd say you'll probably see the Americans come back on board. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised, uh, particularly if we do get that investigation that Australia was pushing for and is still pushing for as China continues to uh, basically try and have a trade war with it over it. Yeah, not good news for, for Australian barley producers. No. But on to the, uh, back to the American riots, a couple of, actually a lot of things happened yesterday as, as riots tend to move quite quickly. I think the... So there's a lot of stuff that's going to come out over what happened of the riots. There's a couple of stuff, pieces I want to focus on. Not because I think that they are the only story or that they're the only important things, but because I have a feeling that the rest of Irish media is not going to mention them. So, I mean, if we don't say this happened to the protesters here, you're going to hear that in Irish media. Whereas stuff that you may not hear would be stuff like um, the killing of the second officer. I'm sure you've seen this, Michael. The um... This is the Captain Dorn. Yeah, yeah. He was a, a former police officer. He, um, I think he'd been a police officer for 38 years. David Dorn was his full name. And he was shot, I think, in the back from the video, uh, protecting a pawn shop from looters. And then they left him to bleed out on the sidewalk. The entire thing, there's a video of the entire thing. I've heard, but I haven't been able to confirm that the entire thing was live streamed. Yeah, uh, it's it's a weird and upsetting thing to see. I, to be honest, I watched some of it. I didn't watch all of it because I didn't. It feels somehow, or at least it felt to me, somehow wrong to be there watching this man as he was about to breathe his last breath um i don't think the video shows his i death. yeah i i know he is, I, my understanding he is. That, but i didn't wait as it were to find out if he did oh he no he is definitely dying he, it's horrendous the the man who's taking the video people on social media a lot of people lumped onto and saying what the hell is he doing why is he videoing it why hasn't he caught my understanding to to frame the context for people who go and see the video online, is that he had he had the man had actually called the police. He called the emergency services and was not. He had 
try had protected the guy who had so apparently allegedly uh, after he'd been shot other people came after him and he defended him i think to be fair to the guy he sounds like he's in shock he's not coherent he's he's deeply upset uh, you know, in the moment traumatized by the thing it is an uh, he he has this odd stream of consciousness dialogue but it's actually when you start to listen it's quite affecting he he refers he keeps saying the you know he he's a grand he's a grand he's a granddad he's a granddad he's a granddad you know uh grandpa he keeps referring to i had to understand that you explained this to me og yes yes original gangster because of his age that he was uh, Old, right. Age uh, old, could be a mark of respect. If old school. Him. He was an old yeah. school person. Um, and in the video, we've uh, we've put a section of the video up on Gripped. There was a weren't there was a bit of an internal debate about whether or not to put it up, but I think my general line was it's news, like, and it's not going to be shown. It's most likely not going to be shown by anyone in Ireland, although the American news networks have picked it up. But it is news. I mean, it's the second officer who's been killed in the looting. Both officers have been black. In fact, every... I, I went through the local newspapers of the various cities that are having riots yesterday. Uh, kind of late last night. There, I was able to find hundreds, hundreds of um, instances of police officers being injured. But every police officer who's been killed by shooting or who has been shot and uh, who's had their identity revealed has been black. Which is, um, Michael, I'm not a, I'm not a, I suppose I have been a political activist, but I've never engaged in the sort of activism where I could see how shooting and killing black police officers is making this better even take it down a step there was a really affecting piece of video uh, interviewing an elderly african-american lady uh i think this was in minneapolis oh who the one who's uh whose barber shop got uh, looted no this was a lady she was living she she was handicapped or she she had some form of disability because she said that she was terrified at one stage that when the national guard came in and the looters and rioters were fleeing that they were go they had they came towards her building but that there was security outside and stopped them getting into the building and she said she thanked god for that because she didn't know she said in our building we 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 she said we're handicapped she said I, but what she said was for her she said listen they've come in and they had destroyed all the shops. She said, "I have nowhere to go now. I have nowhere. I have no place to shop. To shop. I have no place to buy anything. You've just. They have just. They've. They've destroyed all my shops. The buses aren't running. I can't go anywhere. I can't walk anywhere. I can't get anywhere. And now, what am I supposed to do? What? Where am I supposed to go? They've come and they've destroyed all these. Now, it's obviously a, a less." dramatic and less terrible thing than the, the murder of the police officer the shooting dead of the police but it's a horrendous thing for this woman and for that community and those people 
many, many of whom won't drive, won't have access to cars. There is no public transport. And they now have no shops. And the thing is, Gary, if we look historically over the last, in the end of the 20th century, in places where this kind of violence, extreme violence has happened, it has not been unusual for those shops not to reopen. That they're part in certain places, in certain cities, at different times, they just don't recover. I imagine you're going to see, I don't know, speculation. That we'll see both state and federal aid coming into these areas to revivify and to bring them back. Um, something will have to be done anyway. But the first night, we, we mentioned in the last podcast, they burnt down the affordable housing in, in, the, in the district. Yeah, I mean, since then, we've also seen churches set on fire. God knows how many black-owned businesses have been yeah. destroyed. And you I'm mentioned really, the barber story. I mean, that was also. Yeah, I, so I, I'm. If I can find the video because I didn't save it, I'll add it to the bottom of the podcast. Um, and what it was was there's a black woman who worked in a, a barber shop, and it's a video of her asking, "How can you say you you say that Black Lives Matter, but what about this?" And explaining that you know. She has been part of the community since she was born. She's a part owner of the barber shop, and she's been there since late last night, uh, clearing it out. And basically says that uh, you don't care black about black lives. You don't think black lives matter at all. You just wanted money, so you know, go get a job like I did. Improve the community. Uh, we're trying to build this community up, and you're tearing it down. And that you know. <laughs> The response from the progressive left in America has basically been a do whatever you want, we think is justified, and we will support you in anything you do, which is a terrible, terrible idea. Whatever about the, the, the protests themselves, like I've openly seen intelligent, educated people look at the riots and go, well, I mean, this is simply, you know... A, uh, a response to a cycle of oppression and we may not understand it but we shouldn't rush to condemn it and you sort of go most of these people are rioting in their own communities it's not white people who are going to be hurt by this no. it's going to be exactly what we've seen in most inner city riots where at the end of this there's just going to be less amenities in black communities there'll be less businesses and this fucking thing of people going well, it's only property. You have insurance. Is aggravating. Also, can I can we throw in just a bit of old-fashioned economics into this? One of the reasons why our uh, this kind of thing is one of the reasons why it is so it is much more expensive for poor people to live where they live. These small shops, these corner shops, very often in different places, like say in LA, the, run by Koreans. In different in in other places, bodegas run by uh, Caribbeans. Uh, some places, uh, Haitians. Some places, Nigerians. Have, you very often get these in the same way as, for example, in 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 the United Kingdom, people from the subcontinent very often 
or from Kenya got into the the business of the corner shop, you get these cultural patterns repeating. But they they are, lo and behold, much more expensive than say Walmart. Or any of the the large uh, obviously the 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 large multiples. Because the, of the cost of doing business in places like this, and because of a lack of services, because of a lack of your own transport, people are reliant on these businesses. To the extent that these businesses are insurable, there's one thing is an absolute certainty: if they are insurable, their insurance premiums are going to go up. And that will make those places more expensive again. You're just punishing the people that live in these areas. I'll say your business burns down. Okay. Or gets you claim insurance. That doesn't come true immediately. No. So you then need to survive until the insurance payment comes true, which in some cases is going to be quite difficult. And then you sort of go, okay, your business was burned down by members of your own community. You're going to get money. Do you want to open that business again at all there? Also, again, just in the context of, of this moment, many of these businesses will have been closed anyway for quite some time because of the pandemic and will have been probably to the pin of their collar with their cash flow at the be- even in the best of situations. Right now, the, the, the prospect of keeping going until the insurance money comes in Getting repairs done. What are they going to use to get what? What? Where are they going to get the money to get the repairs done before the before the check comes in? The the just simply the the simple practicalities of this are going to be horrendous for these people. But yes, like you say, are you going to take that risk? Also, there must be a sense that if you're a business person in this, if you're a shop owner, you now have in a sense become a target. You know, if if somebody comes in to burn your shop and you're in your shop, that's not going to be a good place to be. Well, I'm sure you will look at the videos of shopkeepers being beaten by looters and take a great deal of comfort that that won't happen to you. Did you see the incident where with the, uh, there was that the, the the bunch of them turned on a on a woman? Oh yeah, they look like they're leaving and then they turn and just go back for. It's horrendous. Yeah, I thought, yeah, this this is the Me Too generation. That's, yeah, God almighty. It almost seems like the breakdown of order uh, has some negatives. Yeah, it's 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 amazing, isn't it? Who could have who could have thought that? Listen, they're going there are going to be a number of people involved in this who are people who are sincere and people who are horrified by what happened and people who feel the need to make some kind of a public statement. But there are obviously, and we know this is not this is not peculiar to the United States, this is, there are going to be a certain number of young, particularly young men, who enjoy the fact that anarchy has descended and they now have permission to do what they like. They can break shit and they can burn stuff and nobody's going to say anything to them. They can get themselves some, get themselves maybe a nice... Was it Versace, the shop that they broke into? Was it? Oh, there have been a couple. It's the Versace, I think, was the first one I heard. The first one was get get some nice a nice suit, get some decent stereo equipment. As you said yourself, I mean the the winner so far is the guy that got the Star Wars Lego special Obviously, edition. I mean, he's he's coming out of this, you know, the best. He's coming out the best. 
any of these upsetting scenes where a guy has managed to come in and get six boxes of, of sneakers and just as he's coming out of the shop, some bastard comes along and steals one of them. It's like you can't trust people these days. <laughs> it's like, you, is there no honour amongst thieves? You got a certain amount. Then, without putting tinfoil hats on, there does... It, uh, the the people in Antifa, whatever the hell they are, are obviously using this and enjoying this immensely. This is a very useful... Now, what the, the motivations are to be involved in Antifa in the first place, you could speculate on psychologically. Well, I think COVID-19 is going to make this situation way worse than it would otherwise be. Because normally, like if you're rioting, you're not going to work. You're not doing something it is a detriment yeah. to you in some way even if in other ways there are benefits whereas now you have a morally justifiable way of leaving the house mm-hmm. and i think that's a that's a certain value just before we we move on to something else there's one other point i wanted to make there's a thing trump um trump had a, a photo op at a church yeah. Yesterday, it was a church that someone had tried to set on fire. Well, it had successfully set on fire. It simply hadn't burned down. And before that, the streets were cleared. Now, people are saying that Trump ordered them to be cleared, but other uh, the some of the police themselves are saying that the order didn't come from Trump, that they didn't know he was coming down. Yeah. But it's just an interesting point in that I see a, a lot of reporters talking about the deployment of tear gas. But there's video of it. And it doesn't look like they're using tear gas at all. It looks like they're using pepper spray and smoke bombs. Or, well, smoke grenades. I, I It reminds me of a couple of years ago. Um, there was a reporter who specialised in security. And he put up a photo on Twitter of earplugs asking if they were proof that rubber bullets had been fired. And it's just a good reminder that um, regardless of which journalist or reporter is telling you something, including us, absolutely, sometimes people just don't know a lot about what they're talking about. So I, I don't think, from what I've seen, there was no tear gas deployed at all. Just smoke grenades. And pepper spray. The, <laughs> that particular incident where Trump goes down and he's standing outside the church and he's holding the Bible in his hand. Now, you know what? As Elizabeth Queen said, I have no window to look into a man's soul. But I wouldn't be betting my last dollar on the deep religious faith that Donald Trump has and shall we say the sincerity if you like of that photograph I think that there may be a sense Gary in which that was a political photograph do you think so Michael I think it may be you're a cynic I am no but it wasn't so much the photograph but the reaction to the photograph which of course howls of indignation that uh, and particularly the reaction because uh, the one of the I don't know if the rector of the church... The church was an Episcopalian church anyway, and there was um, a report from a lady who had been uh, removed by the police from it. She was outraged by it. She was a priest in this church. And she was went on the rampage against Trump, and she published a statement online, a deep, heartfelt statement. 
But in the reporting, it said on the TV, it said the the, the church had suffered a small fire. And I don't know. It was in the context of the way it was written. It sounded a bit like one part of the fabric of the building of the church had, in a moment of existential angst, self-combusted. I mean, that that is the real problem with Episcopalian churches. Yeah, Episcopalian churches, even. Yeah. You could just, the building around them rejects yeah. them over yeah. time. So, what the police said was, yeah, we did take her out. The church was on fire. And to the point also that somebody had set it on fire. Would she have liked them to put her back in? Um, like a pizza? Or a martyr? I, I don't know. Um, Episcopalians are not into martyrdom. Episcopalians aren't even into physical discomfort. I'm sure there are very many very fine people in the Episcopal <laughs> Church, the Episcopal Church of the United States. However, it was the reporting of it I thought was lads. I, somebody was making the point. Somebody quite serious. I think it was possibly uh, Christina Half Summers uh, was retweeting it. Uh, who's the editor of Quillette? Oh, um, Claire, Claire Lehman. Yeah, it's Claire something rather. I think it's Claire Lehman, like the wine. And she, yeah. She, yeah, she was saying that she was watching the the news uh, on the from the mainstream, and she was flipping between Australian media and then the American news, like um, MSNBC or CNN or whatever. And then she was watching what she was what was coming in on social media, on Twitter, and Facebook, and the videos that were showing there. And she said it was absolutely discombobulating. Because the the dissonance between what she was what was being portrayed as the news on the on the mainstream media and what she was being shown on the on the uh, on her social media platforms was just it it was literally like two different worlds, two different sets of events. They're so completely different. One, you had nothing but a stream of where they were showing the police overreacting, using violence, being, you know, bad police, nice protesters. And then the other side, you said you had these pictures of protesters you know, breaking into shops, looting shops, burning stuff, attacking cars, breaking windows, beating up women. And he said, oh, it was this complete. Have you seen that video of the guys who are in the, in the flat? That's exactly the video I was I was thinking of. So they're they're in the flat and the protest is going below them and they have their fists up and they're saying how much they support them and the brick just comes through the window. Yeah. And, and then there's just just this aggrieved, but we're on your side and then another brick comes through the window. <laughs> through another window, yeah. And then they're just like standing there like what what the hell, guys? And you're like, It's a riot, you idiot. Yeah. But to be, it didn't even look like a riot outside. It was a completely casual act, wasn't it? Mm. Some there, it was more outside. It was like a march. They were just marching down the road, and then suddenly, just somebody looked up and saw a light and said, "Yeah, let's throw some rocks at that." The narrative, the description of what's happening, and also, and maybe this is something we moving on to the, shall we say, the more international or slash even local reaction is. So much of this is based on a particular narrative of the nature of the United States and policing in the United States 
that the United States is an irretrievably, systemically sick, racist society. And the police are a military are a military force, which is an inevitable expression of that systemic racist violence. And therefore, eventually, this kind of thing is going to happen again. And therefore, uh, the perceptions that people have of the economic, social realities and the realities of the violence in the United States are formed by that narrative. And also this sense that it just get it is it's awful and it's getting worse. It's just this constant, terrible, grinding thing. Right. What was your reaction when you saw the the, the the scenes in our own fair land? Oh, the protest. Yeah, it's called the protest. Uh, yes, protest. Yeah, yes. uh, well-meaning stupidity. I. My first thing was, what's he? Why? But to be honest, I I thought it was stupid. I think actually it's incredibly moronic. Um. And I don't really have a lot of time for people who say things like, uh, you know, I've really loved, I've really loved the people saying that. If you were against the protest, you know, that's just a demonstration of your white privilege in that you don't need to care about black lives. Firstly, the fact you can go to a protest during a pandemic endangering others is a massive display of privilege, you jackasses. It's a massive display of, I don't give a fuck this, uh, hypocrisy as well. I mean, then again, let's not call Norm MacDonald on it, but yeah, also hypocrisy. Which is the worst of all possible things. But the thing, whatever about the protesters, because people are going to be stupid because they're stupid people. But they're also well, they're also well, and this really is my point. They are also well-meaning people. They are genuine, sincere, well-meaning individuals. And I think that one of the problems here, Gary, is that they have been consistently fed, fed a narrative which is simply not true. Whatever about it being not true. I mean, we've seen these protests in New Zealand, in uh, Britain. In Australia. Just, to, just by the point, people with their hands up saying, hands up, don't shoot, to unarmed police forces. I know. Doesn't really kind of work at all. But no, I, look, I people have convinced themselves that this is important, even though what they did has no impact has no real positive benefit and is really just a grotesque display of selfishness in that their decision to protest was perfectly valid in order to totally uh, ignore any of the restrictions which people have had to suffer under for months in order to get this pandemic under control and so I don't have a lot of time for them but the thing that actually pissed me off like the thing that actually got me was Leo because whatever about the protesters, like yeah, well-meaning people doing stupid things is not. But then Leo takes to Twitter after the protests, when thousands of people have broke the lockdown that his government put in place and has said is necessary to keep from mass death. Social does, distancing, not more than four people. Not more than four. And the guards themselves have said there was basically no social distancing at it. There was too many people. So what does he do? Does he say, you get off the streets, you jackasses. Like, we didn't lock the country down for three months so that you could go out and have a day. No. He says that 
Racism is a virus that we have been fighting for millennia. Despite the progress we have made, it is no less virulent today and no less dangerous, which frankly is horseshit. We need to show solidarity as people of all races and backgrounds around the world come together to stop its spread and defeat it. Now, that to me sounds like tacit support. Yeah. In fact, I think it would be difficult to read it in a way that does not sound like tacit support. Well, what it is not, Gary, is a condemnation or even an instruction to go home and stay there. And that's the only that's the only thing his office have said about this. Now, the CMO was yesterday asked by David Quinn what he thought about it. And, Michael, it might shock you, but the, CS, the CMO slightly less positive about the idea of people coming together right now. Slightly, slightly less enthused. Said it was a risk to life. And I think that's a phrase that should we maybe should be make, making some t-shirts and some buttons. A risk to life. Like, what is the point of the lockdown? Lockdown is over, Gary. It like, is lockdown over. Is, it. like, it's <laughs> a lot of this is just telling people to do this and hoping they will do it for the common good. But if you then start letting photos of yourself having a fucking picnic in the Phoenix Park come out, and then you just react to the largest breach of the lockdown the country has seen by looking like you support it. Very difficult to explain to people why they can no longer see their family. It's not much more than a week ago when anybody on social media would have been aware of the demands, the shrill, one might even say, demands, for the police to behave in a certain way because 50 people had gathered outside the High Court and they weren't practicing social distancing. If this is the standard here, well, we could go down to the Chinese embassy tomorrow about organ harvesting. Then we could go to different embassies. There are enough atrocities in the world that we can find a day-by-day breakdown of reasons to leave the house. I'm sure the people who had to miss the funerals of their loved ones because of the restrictions Leo Varadkar's government put in place are really going to enjoy finding out that Basically, if you actually just, the restrictions are there, but if you really want to, Leo understands if you ignore them. Now, he didn't tell you that when you missed the funeral, but you should have known, because assuming he was a serious person was clearly a gigantic fucking mistake. No, I don't want to blame, and I'm not saying that on a, genuinely, I don't, I'm not to blame the guards, because I can't imagine that they were in anything but an invidious position, although... I will say that my understanding is that this march was advertised and organised and it that was the moment rather than when the thing happened to intervene there, and it, to just simply nip the thing in the bud. But leaving that aside, there have been cases for the last... And I, I, where have we seen Gardaí go and uh, get involved in funerals because people were attending funerals? Too many people were on a beach. Too many people were hanging around in a park. Then 20,000 people, supposedly. Ah, no, I think it was a good crowd. I mean, I've seen the aerial photos. and There were several thousand. Get in the middle of Dublin and walk through it and certainly break... I'm sh- some of them must have breaking their, four, their, their five kilometres. And there's nothing. Now, we may see some... Investigations are... The, gar- the, the guards uh, have said that they will investigate. Apparently they were taking names of details of people they thought 
were organizers um, during it. But it's a weird, it, that is a weird standard that we'll let it happen and then we'll deal with it. Because it is the happening that is the problem, Gary. It's not that we. It's not that there's a law against protesting, and we and the, and now we're going to punish them because of the protest. The law exists as a tool of public health safety. It is to prevent it because if if this is represents a serious threat to the because of the opportunity to reactivate the spread of COVID. Well, then it's it, it's happened now, and whatever. Pre- Whatever prosecutions that might eventuate will will give us a very minor pleasure if we see an, an, a, if we see re outbreak of the virus in, in Dublin and throughout the country. It's not going to be any more, not it's not going to be a salve for us if we suddenly start seeing a spike in cases and in deaths in the next in the next week or fortnight. That's not going to be a whole lot of good to us. And listen. To me, I know you like a rich irony. Well, I think that what the rich irony of all of this is these people are actually demonstrating themselves to be just as much the victims, if you like, of global of the globalization of American culture as a little girl who wants to go out and buy the Disney princess doll. They genuinely seem to see themselves as part that the world is in the United States. The world is America, and whatever happens in the States is the, is the reality here. Which is why you have th- this the notion that everywhere is the same. That if it happens in America, this is this is the truth, and this is the reality. And they know nothing. Uh, anyway, I mean, there also is a uh, certain amusement to many of the many of the deaths from police in America, both black and white. Some are malevolent. Lots are just negligent, though. So it, there is a certain amusement in that in attempting to protest against police uh, brutality and killings in America, you yourself engage in behaviour which is entirely foreseeably likely to harm others and, in fact, could kill others, according to the chief medical officer. Well, i put it this way. Uh, a- uh, according to the federal figures last year, the total number of black men that were shot by police who were unarmed out of a total of 526, I think, was nine. To produce nine fatalities, uh, new fatalities from COVID, doesn't seem like it could be a result beyond the, the bounds of imagination. When you get 20, if you were to get five or 10,000 people gathered together, at a social gathering in Dublin. To produce nine fatalities from that does not seem to me to be impossible. I hope, I hope, obviously, nothing like that eventuates, but it doesn't seem to me to be an unreasonable to speculate that such a thing could happen. But if you ask people how many people they thought were dying every year in this man, they, when, when people are asked, it's a bit like I, say, I was saying to you before, but when you ask them about the proportion of your budget is spent on foreign aid, they wildly overestimate and the notion that racism in the United States is getting worse when every metric tells us that year on year for the last 50 years, thank God, it's getting better. Actually, the Wall Street Journal had an article uh, today, which I'm sure is going to go down terribly poorly um, because it's called The Myth of Systemic Police Racism. That's the article, uh, Heather MacDonald. Mm. But on the um, on the 
on the protest thing, I find it far less aggregating if people just said, we are tired of lockdown and it was a chance to get out of the house and meet our friend in a way that society approves of, or at least our people approve of, rather than this horse shit about, well, if you're not protesting or if you're saying this was a bad idea, you're simply deep into white privilege. White privilege as a concept barely functions in America, let alone just bluntly taking it and trying to apply it to other countries. It's like a dog who's learned to talk and just doesn't understand anything it's saying. It just knows what the words sound like. There is a sort of... The insistence on the application of the notion of white privilege I don't think is going to be a very successful one in Ireland. I think it'll work with uh, that proportion, that certain per- percentage uh, of the population which is dedicated to the the advancing of the, the progressive cause. No, that's not to say that it won't gradually get currency because they're the people who will be in the media and in the universities and will infect your children. But it's very hard to see where, for the last few hundred years, Gary, we've been getting a whole lot of privilege. If we've been getting privilege, Gary, it hasn't been worth a whole lot to us now, in fairness. Maybe you know, the, the white privilege, 1845 to 1849, was really not putting much, much butter on the parsnips. And <laughs> the worst thing is that in the middle of all of this, you do get proper old-fashioned racists coming out and making their statements on the social media and and everybody just got pointy at them and say, see, you see the deep-seated face, the deep-seated nature of the racist of society showing its face. And you think, no, no, there's around, there's around 12 of them and they meet in a pub somewhere on the north side, just off O'Connell Street maybe, and every second Thursday. But the notion that this is a, this mass thing. But they take these notions and apply them as if they're universal, like, as if, as you say, if they had any content in the first place, but that they are universally applicable. And the worst thing, you know, it is a manipulation of genuine sympathy of people who are genuinely empathetic. And I know maybe it's not to the point, but if you really cared about black lives, Gary, and we're talking about in the United States, a society which has been scarred and poisoned by the legacy of a slave state. Why is nobody talking about North Africa? Slavery is still endemic all across North Africa. There are slave auctions being held in Libya. There are slave... There are tribes in North Africa, part of what they call the Haritin, that are generationally enslaved to higher castes. There's slavery in Mauritania, there's slavery in Chad, slave, there's, slave, there's slave trade all over the gaff. Why is nobody standing outside whatever particular embassy they want to, to complain about that? You, we had a, a Grip had a, an interview with a man talking about the Chinese state using ethnic minorities and political dissenters as a source of 
organs to sell in the international organ transplant trade. And what kind of numbers are we talking about there, Gary? <sighs> it's difficult to tell. Everyone gives different numbers on it. I mean, pretty much the entire Uyghur population have been blood type for organ harvesting. So, uh, pretty much as much as the market demands, Michael. Did the, you know, in the Hong Kong, in the protests in Hong Kong, there were at least two protesters that were killed? Hmm, a number of them, yeah. Um, More just were, disappeared. Or just, just disappeared. Where, where, where are the outrage? I mean, China isn't even trying. It's not like China is horribly, horribly offended by itself and ashamed by these acts and worried by what they might mean and having a great national debate about it. China thinks it's perfectly fine. Yeah, China have done the bare minimum to be able to say, oh, it's not that bad. And yet, <laughs> you see, they'll go on and make statements that the United States has to address the terrible problem of racial inequality in the United States. Which is at least kind of funny. Which is at least kind of funny, yeah. But will Leo make a statement? Is it too? Is it? Are we going? Presume are we going? We are. There are more protests planned. I I saw a a calendar. I don't know if it was accurate. Yeah. People before profit are planning more, and I think one or two other groups are planning more. Now the guards' notification that they are going to that there will be a criminal investigation may throw that off, but we will see. Um, we'll, we'll also we'll see if Leo has something to say about that. Yeah, I mean, then when it includes his political opponents, maybe he will. I I would say it depends how much the Irish press takes this up. If they ask questions about it, Leo will come out and say that absolutely it shouldn't have happened, and he'll do it in the wettest possible terms. If they don't, I don't think he'll make any statement on it. Well, of course, he's only filling in anyway, Gary. I mean, he's just keeping the job warm for someone. One one thing I will say that people have pointed out, that, I mean, do you remember when COVID-19 was a thing, Michael? Oh, I do. To Newton newspapers and media organisations. It was a big thing. It was a big thing. It was an important thing. And now, like, looking through the American news, not a thing anymore. Not a thing. I have enjoyed looking at how the uh, the protesters to reopen the country were referred to versus how the current protesters are being referred to. Um, but we all know, Michael, that very advanced viruses can they can determine your ideology and infect or not affect uh, based on that. The purity of your soul. If you have a pure soul, that's what they should have been looking for. See if they can get the pure soul antibodies into people and see because that will protect them from it. I I I haven't seen the hard copy of uh, the Indo. I just saw the online version, and I was just looking at the front page of it. They didn't. We had uh, the Luke Kelly Memorial. We had um, a councillor admitting guidelines breach on a day off. Yeah, I was on my day off. Fantastic. That's how viruses work. You know, 
But we have a story about over 70s visit, kind of have visitors from Monday, but no hugs for grandchildren. All of this, but I, I, I see no big story. There's a story, avoid closed spaces and closed places and contacts again and again. But I'm waiting, I'm looking for this, the headline saying, shocking breach of COVID, reg, COVID uh, regulations by protesters in Dublin. And it's just not there. That's just, that's because now we've gotten late enough that the newspapers have actually updated with today's stories. Let's look at what the Independent is saying about America right now. Because they have a story. Protesters defy curfews to return to US streets as Trump decries low lives. Low lives, even. So, peace in New York should call up the National Guard. Stop the low lives and losers. Most protests peaceful. Uh, there were scattered reports of looting in New York. Although the country appeared calmer than it did a day earlier when violence swept through multiple cities. The president makes hardline calls. Uh, crackdown on peaceful protesters near the White House. Just doesn't... Uh, does not... Uh, crowd was peaceful, even polite. Yeah. Now, <laughs> not that this, of course, is an issue. I, I, I imagine you saw this... Somebody, the one of the papers in the states did a survey, or the, the media outlets did a survey on the attitudes to the the president's willingness to use the military in the situation if the situation were to demand it. Thirty percent opposed him, and what is it? Fifty six, fifty eight percent were in favor. Yeah, so when you take out the unknowns, you're looking at about a 63 65% uh, support rate of Trump's idea of bringing the military, which from my hazy memories of the abortion referendum is the sort of support that the Irish Times would refer to as a representing landslide victory. Yeah, so it may be, you know, that Trump has his finger close to the most. I mean, even when they broke down the answers, uh, when they when they asked people how they viewed the, uh, when they asked people how they viewed the protests, and they broke them down across racial figures, and they asked African Americans. I think eighteen percent of African Americans, only eighteen percent of African Americans, described the peace as peaceful. And uh, uh, then another said they were a mix of ha half peaceful, half protest. But I think thirty two percent just described them as just violent rioting. It figures forty two percent of Hispanics said the same, and then I think fifty fifty eight odd percent of uh, whites said it. So, sure, I'm just I'm reading through the Irish Times uh, coverage of this just to see if they've. Mentioning, and it's reminded me of a thing I really hate, and it's news reports which use excessively flowery language. Mm -hmm. So here's a line from: Thousands of people had come here to make their voices heard, holding handmade signs, wearing face masks, their individual expressions of protest merging now and then with the sporadic collective chants that emanated from the crowd. And all I can think is, keep it for the opinion piece. Like a news piece should be. 
as short as possible and say these things happened in this order. This was the rough reaction to them. Yeah. I, don't, I really don't like the, the merging of those two forms. Well, we've talked before about the death of reporting. Talking about the protesters, as many had brought their children to witness America's treasured First Amendment, including the right to free speech and to peacefully assemble in action. That's why they brought them. It's good to know that the, it's good to the, that the journalist knew that. How he precisely or she precisely did know that, I, I don't know. It's spent a long time doing some kind of vox popping. Here's, here's a question. Do you think this line should appear in a news report? And this is from the Irish Times. Trump's grotesque appropriation of religion. Is that, well, no, obviously. If it's a news report, no. If it's a comment piece, that's perfectly it's, reasonable. It's not. It's, it's, it's in their news section. If it's an opinion piece. It is piece, their you... news piece on what happened in Washington. I mean, like, uh, there seems to be no barrier now between these two things. Like, mostly for Grick, I write news pieces, because I generally don't like writing opinion pieces. I'll keep my opinions to the podcast and to private conversations, depending on what those opinions are. Yeah. <laughs> oh, listener, if you only knew. Oh, if you only knew. But this is meant to be the paper of record, and this is nonsense. This isn't news. But it's, I think it's part of that trend where people say, well, you can't be totally free of bias, therefore don't try it all. Yeah, but Gary, there's just, slightly tangentially, there's an interesting one I, I noticed uh, that was happening there that few days. Um, journalists are allowed to travel freely around the country in order to pursue their trade under COVID restrictions. And to get chicken wings, yeah. And to get chicken wings, yeah. But that is correct, isn't it? As if you're a journalist. Yeah, there. If you if you're a journalist, you have free movement. And for say, for example, people who work with crypt media are journalists. Yeah. So we we have the ability to uh, move around the uh, around the world. Oh, here's another. No, the the point I want to make. I don't know if you saw this, but there were a, a number of people questioning. Whether or not Gemma O'Doherty was a real journalist, the NUJ said she bloody well wasn't. Nonsense like that. And that they should stop this nonsense of allowing her to pretend to be a journalist and to use that in order to facilitate her movement around the country in, 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 in the face of the restrictions. Now, I'm not going to get into the issue of whether or not Gemma O'Doherty is a journalist or, or a good journalist or a bad journalist or... Whether I have sympathy or no sympathy at all with what her positions are. But Gary, is there not an incredible lack of historical resonance with these people when they start to say that we, that we should be putting ourselves in a position where we can give the government or an organ of government the right to decide who is or who is not a journalist and on that basis who gets the right to behave and to do those things that we allow journalists to do? Does that not strike you as a profoundly dangerous step to take? It strikes me as perfectly in line with the behaviour and nature of the NUJ. That's a tef- That's not the answer to my question. That's a different question. But it says so much more. Yeah. You can think whatever you like about Gemma. But to, to say, okay, be, in order... I'm, I'm reminded of... Uh, 
a comment from a, 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 a British judge in the context of the Rolling Stones being prosecuted, prosecuted for cannabis possession. He said, to break a butterfly upon a wheel. That's not, not that Gemma's a butterfly, but the notion that just to get her, just to get this one person that you really dislike, you're going to fundamentally change the balance of freedoms between the state and between the profession of journalism just to get her and you don't you've no concerns at all that down the line that might produce some fairly bad juju i think that's an we hear constantly about being on the right side of the wrong side of history and i don't know maybe it's because all these people are good solid dialectical materialist marxists and they believe that history is a straight line and it's only going in one direction towards the dictatorship of the proletariat and the withering way of the state but you know what gary history ain't a straight line it's a curvy squiggly line that goes up and down and forwards and back and you're on the wrong side of history today there's a good chance if you can live long enough you're going to be on the right side of history the nuj is a ridiculous organization that i have absolutely no time for uh, and probably shouldn't exist but I, let's look at the journalism thing. Okay, so why are journalists allowed free movement? Because journalism is classed as an essential work and journalists, by the nature of their work, have to be able to move around in order to meet people and follow stories. That is why journalists can do it. So it's not that journalists are treated as a special class. If you are doing a job that requires you to move around and is classed as essential, you also have free movement while carrying out the duties of that job. It's just journalism, it's a little bit easier to bullshit your way through exactly what you're doing. So the question there I would ask is, okay, if, if that is what journalism is in this case, that it is someone who is uh, collecting information and distributing it to other people, or opinion, because let's be honest here, is that what Gemma is doing? I'd say, yeah, almost certainly by that definition, that is what Gemma is doing. Now, if she goes on a trip that's not related to that, then I would say that she should fall outside that proviso and have the same restrictions as everyone else. But that would seem to be the raw reading of the regulation. There's nothing terribly fancy here. Journalism is not a protected term, nor is journalist in this country. So... The NUJ is saying this because the NUJ is an incredibly political union. And has been for a long time. And has been for a long time. I mean, the NUJ has had a position on abortion since, I think, the 70s. I mean, there was that, the, the, the case that there was a journalist who left. They had, was it a court case? Certainly back in the 70s, specifically on that issue, that you, because he wasn't willing to even notionally toe the line on that. And therefore couldn't stay in the union. And I, I, I don't know now. Now it's different. But at the time, if you couldn't, if you didn't have an NUJ card, it was very, very hard to get any kind of money out of journalism. Well, I mean, it's one of the like, grift is currently trying to get accreditation to go to various kind of ministerial and department events. And one of the problems we have is that they are saying you either need to be part of the press council, which means that you have to give the press council rather a large amount of money, or you can have an NUJ card. And I asked them, well, 
what if you don't want to join the NUJ or you can't join the NUJ because of their political stances? Does that mean if you are pro-life or you disagree with any of the NUJ's political stances, because they've got a few, and you're a freelance journalist, you're effectively barred from attending these meetings? They never got back to me, Mike. No, really? Never well, got back to me. Um, they're maybe still there but I, carefully uh, honing a response. But I won't join the NUJ. I'm not going to give money to an organisation that supports and funds things I politically disagree with, and which I don't think that union has any right to be involved in. I mean, it's a private entity. But if it sees its purpose as putting forward those political aims, it's not an organisation I want to give money to. And it's certainly not simply a trades union dedicated to defending the interests of its members and negotiating with management. It's something far bigger than that. Anyway, anyway, the world is continuing to burn. We'll see if, well, today it's more smouldering than burning, we think. Well, we'll see what happens today. We've got time. Plenty of time for something to burn again. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, uh, it must be, and I suppose we should, there's no point in hauling it over again, but it must be galling. And I actually... Somebody pointed out, and I, I think you mentioned it also to me, he said, one of the curious things in the in the aftermath of the uh, the march yesterday was to note that there were quite a number of people that you would say came from the progressive left to work in media who were actually not at all happy with that protest yesterday. And when you when they were making comments on social media about it, and it tended to be because they were people with a, a direct personal connection to the problem of the the virus and the pandemic. People who were who had close relatives, people maybe who'd lost friends or family, or people who had pers- close members of the family from whom they had been excluded in contact because they were at risk. And when that, that personal edge really there were quite a few people genuinely pissed off and i think that for leo to take the position that he did was a really an unnecessary misstep i don't know why he felt that he couldn't manufacture a statement a very simple statement saying you know racism bad thing but you know pandemic bad thing too and we need to find another if you want to express your anger at what seems to have happened to the United States and at the same time solidarity with the people who are vulnerable and at risk and whose lives are at risk in the in this country, you need to be more creative and find a different way to doing it. Surely that was not beyond the wish of the Taoiseach himself to do it or his speechwriters. Well that would be that's an interesting point on um people with direct connections is perhaps people whose partners or loved ones are immunocompromised or who have a real fear of what the spread of COVID-19 would do to their families and loved ones. And I think there could be an interesting discussion there about the nature of privilege and whether or not the most privileged thing might be the ability to totally ignore that, to go and have a super happy fun day and get out of the house and see your friends and Convince yourself you're doing good while kind of struggling to explain what the actual 
good is, like what the impact of what you're mm-hmm. doing is on mm-hmm. the positive yeah. side, whereas the negative impact seems quite clear and defined. So that might be an interesting one uh, for people to discuss, or an interesting question to ask if you say that you don't uh, like the protests happening in Ireland and someone accuses you of only saying that coming from your position of white privilege. I think you're absolutely right, because I think what you're describing is almost the definition of privilege. As much as I dislike, deeply dislike the, the word and the way the weapon, the way it's been weaponized, but yes, it, it's the it is the ability not to care, is the ability not to be engaged, is the, the ability to be to remain untouched by these things. That's not my problem. That's not my. I uh, that if you are on the other hand somebody with an immune uh, compromised or somebody with a respiratory illness or somebody whose parents are over seventy or whatever, then you are very much. In the context of the pandemic, you're in the you're in the victim status. You're you're the oppressed person here, and I think that a lot of these people, uh, it's. Uh... Oh, there is there is actually one thing I want to to mention about Leo's comment, Carol Nolan, Deputy Carol Nolan, who is up in um. Where is Carol Nolan? Where is she? Carlo, yeah. no, Leash Leash Offley. Leash Offley, yeah, 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 yeah. Um. She wrote to the Taoiseach, and she wrote to his office and asked him to condemn the meeting. And would you like to know what she got back? Because we have the letter now. She was kind enough to oh, give please. it to us. Here is it in full. Now, this is from the uh, Assistant Private Secretary to the Taoiseach. It says, in full, Dear Deputy Nolan, Further to your email to the Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, TD, I have forwarded your correspondence to the Minister for Health, Simon Harris, TD, and to the Minister for Justice and Equality, Charlie Flanagan, TD, for their attention, yours sincerely. Which is to say, he got a letter asking would he condemn the uh, you know, massive breach of his own regulation and said, I have forwarded it on to the relevant people. I, oh, it's like he is deliberately undermining his own policy. I, I, I don't know how to react. He said that. This that's a response to a TD. He sent the Taoiseach asking him to do something in response to something he had already done. He said, "I'm going to get Charlie Flanagan and Simon Harris to deal with that." What the. What is that? Is it... Of course, we should observe that Simon, the Taoiseach himself has been a victim of privilege. And it must be tough to have struggled all the way from King's Hospital to Trinity the way he has done to become Taoiseach of the country. You know, kudos. Yeah, so on that, on that resoundingly uplifting note, I think we'll leave it until Friday. When hopefully everything will be back and COVID will have disappeared. Anyway, till then, mind yourselves, stay safe, stay indoors. Bye-bye. All the best.